Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 12, 28 through 37. One of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You've correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than the burnt offerings or sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared to question him any longer. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David says himself by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. Now then, can, this, can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. All right. I got you. All right. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad to, glad y'all are here. I always like to, I, I realized that if I ever wanted to just uh, say some words of encouragement, that the most opportune time is like this moment because y'all are all here. Uh, so before we get into the sermon, I just, I just want to give you just a quick encouragement and just to reemphasize one of the reasons that we exist as a church, that first clause of our mission statement is to preach the gospel. And I hope that, I hope and pray the gospel is preached here on Sunday, but what you are hearing is supposed to be proclaimed by you. It's not just my mission to preach the gospel. It's our mission. And so the things that you are learning, the things that, that you are understanding from the scripture, they are not meant just to sit with you. They are meant for you to tell others about the grace and the love of, our, of Christ Jesus. And just a, an encouragement. So not even including this morning, through the ministries of our church, over 100 people have heard the gospel this week. All right, so we're not playing games about that. And I want you all to feel some ownership about that. There is nothing more exciting than to be able to share God's word. One of my favorite, favorite scriptures is, is uh, the disciples come to Jesus after he is sharing with the woman of the well, and they, it was around lunchtime, so they assumed he was hungry. And they, the disciples came and said, hey, Jesus, do you want some food? Now, Jesus had just been, been sharing with the woman at the well, and he said, no, nah, I got food y'all don't even know about. And they're like, I don't see no Burger King. How you get that food? And he said, he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish his work. So, so it is food. It is strengthening. It is life-giving to be able to share about Christ. So I want that to, to be our common mission. You get to talk to people that I don't get to talk to, and vice versa. And you have an opportunity to share the words of life. That ain't the sermon, that's the pre-sermon. All right, so preach that gospel, y'all. Um, I see people wave. Let me, let me turn the, the heat down. Y'all waving. My wife said to, to do that. Thank you, Becca. 
That's my girl. <laughs> All right. So one of the most common misconceptions uh, that I find exists is, is that we have a misconception of what it means to be a mature disciple, particularly uh, in America. We think that discipleship or, or becoming like Jesus is primarily about being a student. And if it's primarily about being a student, then you're mature if you know a lot of stuff. And so we, that, that's often how we think about what it means to be mature in Christ. But I want you to understand that that is not how the Bible describes discipleship. Discipleship is not merely accumulating more knowledge. It's not so you can have a fat head, all right? Discipleship is about cultivating love and obedience to Jesus. You can know a whole lot of stuff, like the scribe that we're going to talk about today. You're going to know a whole lot of stuff, but not be mature. Yet, if you obey what is clear in the scriptures, that is the path to maturity. Now, if discipleship is about cultivating a love and an obedience towards Jesus, then, then the question is, how then can we do that? Can you just snap your fingers and change yourself? If you do, let me know. That'd be dope. Listen, we actually need help from outside of ourselves that would cultivate love for God and love for others and obedience to his word. So here's the deal. You, you can know a lot about God. You can even know that Christ is the Messiah. But listen, you have to know that he has done something for you and that he can do something in you. Simply put, we need a savior, not simply a teacher. We need a savior, not simply a teacher. Let's pray and ask the Lord help. Lord, please help us to understand your word, not just so that we can say we understood it, but so that it would produce obedience in our lives, Lord. Please fill us all with your Holy Spirit, that we might submit to you and listen humbly from your word. Please produce the fruit that you command. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we start in verse 28. It says, one of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered well, he asked them, which command is the most important one? So if you remember the context of the passage, Jesus has been debating religious leaders for like the whole last chapter. This has been debating. And people have been coming to him asking questions, not really to really understand what he taught, but they were trying to trick him. They were trying to stump him. Let me ask him a question that he doesn't understand, so I'm going to get him. That, that, that's what they were doing. One of the interesting things is every single time that someone came to challenge Jesus with pride, he made them look like a fool. Every single time. All the religious leaders sought to trap or embarrass him, and then after the conversation, they didn't want to look like they knew what they were talking about. This teaches that Jesus makes fools of prideful people. He defeated every debate opponent. Listen to this. He will humble all the prideful on the day of judgment. So that means we can't come to him thinking that we know everything. We can't come to him uh, uh, trying to dictate to him what we think he ought to do. We have to approach him with great humility. We have to recognize our need for Jesus Christ's wisdom. That's a different than this one scribe and all the religious leaders before. He, he looked at Jesus and he go, oh my goodness, he, he knows what he's talking about. This is the, the only one in this passage who was not trying to trick him. He said, I just, I just want to know. 
I, 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 I'm, I'm, a scribe is a religious teacher. Like he's someone who already knew a good bit about the scripture, but he saw how wise Jesus was and he humbled himself and he asked him a question not to trick him, not to fake him out, but to say, I, I respect you and I need your wisdom. Beloved, have you realized your need for divine wisdom? Well, I hope you do. We need to approach Jesus Christ humbly. Because God draws near to the humble. Apostle James says in James 4, 6, says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the posture in which we should approach Christ, the posture in which we should approach Scripture and saying, God, I, I don't know. Can you help me? Jesus, you are the one with divine wisdom. And so the question the question that he, that he asked, Jesus answered. And, and if you go to this church a little bit, you probably are familiar with the answer because we pray this every week. It says, Jesus answered, the most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Jesus teaches that his Father is the only one true God, that we have a loving creator and a sustainer who deserves our worship. Jesus teaches that we ought to love and have complete allegiance to God. And this, this love, I love all the descriptors, like love God, how? With all your stuff, with everything, with everything that is within you. The command is that you should love him and give him complete and utter devotion and allegiance. And you and I both know that true love is demonstrated not just in words, right? It's demonstrated in action. The love that we have to God, Jesus is, is explaining, it ought to be a love that offers everything to him. That there's no part of our lives, there's no aspect of our heart that is not reserved for him. That the greatest commandment is that with every ounce of breath and every shred of strength, that we would love him, that we would have affection for him, and that he would be our top and highest allegiance. And not only that, Jesus teaches that we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. One of the things is about love, or at least self-love, self-love is kind of instinctual. I'll give you an example. If you touch a hot stove, what you going to do? You pull that hand right back. You don't, you don't got to teach nobody to protect themselves. It's just it's kind of instinctual. And Jesus is saying, just like you have that instinct to care for yourself, to protect yourself, to watch out for yourself, that is the same instinct that I want you to have for those around you. In other words, we ought to want what is good for our neighbor. And not only want it, we ought to do what is in our power to do the good for our neighbor. Listen, we should not simply be a bystander with good intentions, but rather one who gets involved for the good of others. Let me tell you something. If you get involved, that means you're going to get dirty. But that's true love. True love costs something. It costs you time, energy, effort, brokenness. To be near to those who are hurting. That's what Jesus calls us to do, though. Listen, a life that is marked by complete love and affection to God and love for those around you I think you'd be able to observe it, yeah? You'd be able to go, I look, look like that's what's happening. All the scriptures point to and culminate in this command. That's what he say. All, all the scriptures hang on this. 
In other words, Jesus summarized the Bible, two sentences. There it is. And we can even, if you want to give, give you an example, we can see this in the Ten Commandments, you know. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the first half is about loving God. What I love about the Ten Commandments is that it puts, uh, when, when I can tell, say love God, you can somewhat interpret that the way you would want to. But I can say love God like this, like that you would have no other God before him. Love him that you would, like, you would honor his name and his reputation. Love him that you would, would make it a priority to be with his people on the Lord's day. Or how about loving others? You can say you love others, and everybody says love others, but what does that mean? Well, loving others means at the very least that you're not stealing from them. You're not going to say you love people and then take their stuff. Love all the scriptures point to this. That, that what, the kind of person that God wants you and I to be is one that loves God with everything and loves our neighbor as ourselves, and that would be evident. In verse 32 and 33, we, we learn that our love must fuel our acts of devotion. Look at verse 32. It says, Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. I think it's just so funny. He says, Jesus, hey, Jesus, you're right. Yeah, duh. Okay. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. You get what he added? He says, I'm affirming that what you said is true. We should love God, we should love others, and, and it is even more important than any religious acts of devotion that we could do. Religious acts of devotion, uh, rituals, all these things are meaningless without love. In the Old Testament, there were many rituals done in service to God. We got sacrifices, we got priests, we got temples, we got festivals. A lot of stuff could be done and was commanded to be done. But one of the issues that God had with his people in the Old Testament is that they had a habit of doing these rituals without the love of God in their hearts and without the care for others in their hearts. Matter of fact, if you would go to ancient Israel, you would find them doing a lot of the rituals that were commanded. They're singing. They're doing a festival. They're teaching. But in their lives, you can see they're not living out what all these rituals point to. God is, is so frustrated with this. He says stuff like this, like in Amos 5. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Imagine, imagine God coming to church, looking at the singing and the praying, and go, I hate it. That, that, because their hearts were not loving God. They were not loving the weak and the poor. And even though they did some of these rituals to a T, it did not matter because their lives did not reflect what all of it was pointing to. So, beloved, our singing means nothing if it doesn't come with affection. Uh, our studying means nothing if it does not produce concrete acts of love. Our religious acts, the, the, the reading of the scripture, the prayers, the singing, the listening, the preaching, all that stuff is good, but it has to come from our love for God, and it has to fuel love for others. You know, we're about to enter a season where we're encouraging you to fast and pray and give, but beloved, it means nothing if it does not come from loving God. What this means is that Jesus is not looking for, for, for mere uh, uh, outward ritualistic obedience. He wants obedience that comes from the heart. 
And you instinctually know, like, if somebody said, you know, I love you, and then they added, well, because I'm supposed to, you were like, thank you, you know? Like, like, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't feel all that great, right? Well, God, God said I'm supposed to love you, so whatever. No, 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 no. No, our acts of, of, of love and service have to be motivated by love for God and love for those around us. When we get to verse 34, and I want you to hear, this is, this is the crux of the sermon. This is what we learn. That knowing the right answers about God is good, but it's not good enough. Look at verse 34. Verse 34 it says, When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. I want you to understand, Jesus likes this guy. He says, Man, you, you answer wisely, you're prudent, you studied, and you'd study well. But if I was a scribe, and Jesus said, you're not far. I'm like, well, why can't I get in? You're telling me I have the right answer and you affirm that I have the right answer and I'm not in yet? What else I got to do? The correct answer was important. But it only got him close. Not in. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why would knowledge not be enough? Why would, it, why would it not be enough? Listen, we all know true things about God, yet every single one of us at times does not obey him. And so our knowledge about God is insufficient because it does not come with pure and complete obedience. Matter of fact, listen, I want you to understand something. Knowledge without obedience isn't neutral. Knowledge without obedience is condemning. So, so, okay, okay. So, so suppose, you know, let's say I didn't understand how traffic lights work, and I, you know, I just hit the gas pedal on the yellow light, but I just didn't know. And the police officer's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know. Well, that's, I mean, maybe he wouldn't believe me, but that's one thing. But suppose I was like, I know full well I wasn't supposed to do that. I just did it. You're like, well, that increases your culpability. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that, listen, hear me, hear me. It is a dangerous thing to seek to learn more about God without the corresponding effort to obey him. That only increases your culpability. See, we can know the right thing, yet that we can lack the power within ourselves to do it. Like, we, we don't just need someone to teach us what we ought to do because a lot of times we know what we ought to do. We actually need somebody to deliver us from us. We need somebody to not just give me words of knowledge, but to give me power to overcome that which, which trips me up. We don't need simply a teacher. We have to come to a savior for salvation. You get to verse 35, it says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the Son of God? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Now that looks like a really abrupt change of subject, doesn't it? Like, what, Jesus, what you talking about? And how do we even know that's even connected? And you can see in the question that he asked, 
How can the scribes say? Who, who was he just talking to? A scribe. He is, he is responding to the, to the same uh, question and in the, in the interaction that just happened. He responds to this cliffhanger because if, if that's all it was, it's like, well, cool. Like, yeah, I know what to do, but I can't do it. Thanks, Jesus. Like, like, no, he's responding to what just happened. See, the Messiah, he's the Savior who would save God's people from their enemies and bring them safely into the kingdom of God. What he's saying is this, that knowing and following the Savior, that that's the key to getting in. You can know what you ought to do and be fully convinced about what you ought to do, but you don't have power within yourself to do it. So knowing something, it only gets you close. But if you know this Messiah, if you know this Savior, he gets you in. So, so what must we know? How do, how do we, we must know who he is and what he has done? I'm going to do a little theology with you because it's a confusing thing. He says, how can the Messiah be both David's son and David's Lord? All right, this is what's going down. So Jesus, according to the flesh, according to, to his, his, his human uh, blood, he comes from uh, the line of David. And that ancient thought, the ancient thought is this, is that the son is lesser than, he has to submit to the father. But what's confusing, what's confusing is that David is looking to his son and saying what to him? Saying, Lord, how can he be both David's son and his Lord? How can he be from the line of David, yet at the same time, the Lord and the Son of God? This points to what kind of person we needed to be a Savior. Beloved, we needed both a human and divine Savior to save us. Remember that the Scripture gives us knowledge, yet because of our sin, we only know better our sin and our fate. But God doesn't leave us there. He gives us a Messiah that is fully God and fully man. And this God-man dies in our place to take away our guilt and our shame. Beloved, we can know the right thing and that can get us close. But he can get us in. Why does he have to be fully human? The catechism that we teach our kids here says that he's human, but that, that in his human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law. Wasn't that a problem? We couldn't do it. But he can. He perfectly obeys the whole law. And he suffers the punishment for human sin. Why did he have to be God? It says that because of his divine nature, his godness, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. We have one who can completely sympathize with us, who has the same nature as us, but at the same time is fully God. So that his obedience can be perfect, complete, and pure. And how about, listen to this, we sang a song about, about Jesus taking away the Father's wrath. Let me tell you something, that if you and I stand before and receive the Father's wrath, we dead. We disintegrate, ain't nothing left. But because Jesus Christ is fully divine, he can take the Father's wrath for our sin and our complacency in our place. And he can take it and die and not stay dead, but rise from the dead. And after, ascend, after dying for sins, he ascended into heaven. And he is defeating our enemies of guilt and shame right now by constantly giving us forgiveness and life. That's what it is. What does it mean that, that, that he, he is, it says, sit at my right hand? Well, what did he do before that? He died of our sins. He took care of our guilt and shame. He rose from the dead. 
And he, and he sits in heaven, and he is ready and willing to give forgiveness to all who would ask him. And for those who say, I know what I ought to do, but I can't do it. He says, you come to me, and I'll defeat your enemies. That's the Savior that we have. One that just doesn't get us close, but gets us in. So, beloved, come to him. Don't just be close to the kingdom. Don't just sit at the door. Don't just study the manual so that you can know some stuff. But say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to change me. I can't, I, I can't do it on my own. I don't have the power within myself. I know what I ought to do. But by myself, I can't do it. Would you help me? Beloved, the Son of God and the Son of Man, he will say, I got you. I have taken care of your sin. I have died for it, and I have the power to help you get over you. That's the Savior that we have, and that's so important, y'all. It's not that we just needed to learn more stuff. And if you know me, you know I'm not against learning. I like reading books and stuff. But it's not just that we needed to learn more things. We needed somebody to do something for us. And because of his love and his goodwill, he has. He has. So then what, what ought we to do? What ought we to do? I love the, the, last, the last verse, the last part of the last verse. It says, and the large crowd was listening to him with delight. Now that's funny because I know they didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> what you happy for? You know, like, but here's the deal. How much more can we listen with delight? Because we have the fullness of what he is saying. Beloved, we might not have the power to change ourselves, but in listening to him, that's where our salvation is found. See, Jesus speaks hard words. This is true. But if we keep listening, his words deliver forgiveness, life, and peace. Listening to Christ not only instructs us, but it's the tool for our deliverance. Beloved, you would not know Christ had you not heard. Listening to Christ, listening to his words, that is the means of salvation and not just salvation, transformation. One of my favorite stories is after Jesus rose from the dead, he's walking with two disciples on this road called Emmaus, and he's explaining to them about the word and about he is the Savior who died for their sins. And they get to the end of the walk, and they realize who it is. They realize it's Jesus, and they look at each other, and they said, Weren't our hearts burning inside of us when he spoke? What does that mean? That when Jesus teaches, he just does not convey information. He transforms us. So, beloved, we come to God's word. We come to, to hear it, proclaim, to read it, not simply to gain information, but to know that through listening to him, he delivers something to us. He delivers forgiveness and transformation to us. That means we got to be people that's about reading and hearing God's word. Beloved, we commit to sitting under faithful preaching, not simply so that we can learn something, hear me, but that in hearing the words about Christ, that the Spirit of God uses those words and conveys forgiveness and life and transformation. He pours out his love and brings us to him. That's what Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from what is heard, 
And what is heard comes through the message of Christ. He just said that faith comes from hearing God's word. That's not an intellectual transaction, beloved. That's some power. How else do we, we hear God's word? One of my favorite, y'all, y'all might think I'm weird, but I, I, I love, I just love baptism and communion. It's, it, I, it just gives me a picture. And listen, listen, every time we take of the bread and take of the cup, what, what do we hear? This is his body given. This is his blood shed. We can know a lot of stuff about him and we can know it accurately, but that knowledge won't get us in. But you know what will? Receiving him. Feasting on him. Trusting in him. God's gracious love, that's what ought to fuel your love for him. So we'll go back to the the whole question at the beginning. If, If I ought to love God with everything and love my neighbor as myself, how in the world do I make that happen if I can't just make it happen? It's not pure effort, but we have to receive something first. First John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. This is why sitting, and, and sitting under God's word is so important because you are hearing over and over and over again that he loves you, that he cares for you. And guess what? That's not just mere information. It does something in your heart and that the affection that God has for you that is flowing over you, that it begins to produce something inside of you and that his love consistently declared over you actually produces love within yourself. He's the first mover. He pours out his love for you, but his love has an effect. And the effect of his love is that there is affection and love growing in your heart. The only way to grow in loving God and others is by continually being strengthened by the great love that Christ has demonstrated towards us. I ain't told this story in a long time, so I'm going to tell it again. When I, when I first started volunteering at the Carolina FCA, there were some student leaders, and they were, they were good folks, right? But they were teaching a lesson. They were all in a circle, and they were teaching. And he started, dude, buddy, just started naming sins. He's like, some of y'all doing this. So he just, just call them out, right? You doing that, and that, and that, and that. I'm like, dang, you going hard. And then he goes, stop it. And that was it. And I was like, they can't. <laughs> we can't just stop it. We can't just, with willpower, stop it. But if the love of God is consistently flowing over us, we realize that his love is more satisfying than that sin that is calling us. And then we can say no to that sin and yes to him, not out of just mere effort, but because we have received something that is greater. That's why we receive God's word, not just as an intellectual transfer, but so that our hearts are confirmed again and again and again. He loves you. And beloved, that does something to your heart. If you would see the means of grace, the stuff that Christians are supposed to do, go to church, read the Bible, pray, all that stuff, the stuff you're supposed to do, you look at it and you just think, oh man, I want to do this stuff. But if you would see them as a vehicle to deliver the love of God for you, that would change it. That you don't read scripture to check a box. You read it so that you would hear the Spirit say, I love you. You don't pray so that you said, you said your words that day. You, you pray because I know that the Spirit of God communicates his love for me. 
that I would I would go to church, not just so I said I go to church, but at church I hear and I hear declared over and over again, your sins are forgiven and Christ loves you. And beloved, that does something to you. We remember that the son of God, the descendant of David, and he laid down his life out of love for us. And beloved, our effort, it can't do it, but his can. His can. So we serve a Savior that doesn't just tell you how to get in, but he gets you in. And we praise God that we have a Savior, not just a teacher. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your mercy and for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would do work in our hearts. Lord, I believe, I believe that your word is powerful. And Lord, I pray that the words that we have received today, that they would were, they were bear fruit of love and affection towards you, and love towards those around us, because we are just in awe of how much you care about us. So Lord, let us understand that we are recipients of your love that we can rest in that and we can be strengthened by that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.